Good morning. When you think about the words of that song, they're very powerful in terms of you realize to make new wine, you got to be crushed. And we're talking about trials. And trials often crush us, don't they? But through that crushing and through us choosing joy and turning our face to Jesus, there's something brand new that comes out. And we get to grow and serve in his grace and love. For those that are visiting with us, we are doing a series in the book of James. And before we turn to James chapter 1, I want you to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. As you're turning there, I just want to do a little background. And here's one of the things you probably don't know about Grace Baptist Church. We have something called a security team. And they just kind of peruse the parking lot uh, because churches in our day and age are subject to people breaking in cars and stealing things. And they look for other things. And every once in a while, they find things like a car with its lights on. So I'm here to tell you that there is a white Corolla. (laughs) JBS 9567, your lights are on. So we're all going to look around and see who stands up and leaves. (laughs) So if that's your car, if you want to kind of Go out and turn the lights off. Feel free to do that right now. Now, there's another car. No lights this time, but your front tire's flat. So before you drive away and hear clank, 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 it's a gray Odyssey. Now, I know there's more than one. License plate JT48010. If you don't know your license plate and have a gray Odyssey, just check the front tire before you go, okay? (laughs) 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. Paul writes these words to Timothy, but understand this. And by the way, understand this means, okay, you're serving Jesus. You want to be a Christian. You want to be a follower of Jesus in the midst of your particular culture. So you have to figure out what that culture's like so you don't compromise instead of be transformed. So you don't just put religious garments on the cultural version of life. But rather you live after the kingdom of God. So Paul writes, but understand this, that in the last days, and you have to understand what the last days are all about. Last days are from the time Jesus died on the cross, rose again, till now. I know there's a lot of people believe he's coming soon again. And if you believe that we're in the last days, he says there will come times of difficulty. You will have trials. Now, our theology often tells us, well, God doesn't want us to suffer, so we create this theology that says, you know, before we really have to suffer or have trials, he's going to come again and rapture us away. Do you realize that every time you say that, you disregard millions that are suffering today, that are being killed, imprisoned in places like North Korea and China? But Timothy is saying this. You're going to face trials. Paul is saying this to Timothy. And then he writes this. Here's the cultural analysis of what the last days are going to be. For people will be lovers of self. Do you think Paul had an idea that we're going to have something called selfies? (laughs) Maybe that's a loose interpretation. Lovers of money. We see that, don't we? The tragedy of people going in debt, the tragedy of people just being so greedy over things. Proud, that's everybody else, not me, right? Arrogant, and you're kind of saying, what's the difference? 
Well, I think he's putting it there to point that we have problems with pride and arrogance, don't we? Abusive. Be careful how you define that word because so often we say, well, I haven't hit anybody. But you can abuse people with your words. You can abuse people with your emotions. You can abuse people by neglect. Disobedient to their parents. And all the parents said, by the way, there's other scripture that says parents don't oppress your kids. Okay? That's not here, but it's interesting they put this in the midst of this. Ungrateful. That's a little bit of an ouch, isn't it? Unholy. Heartless. Unappeasable. It's never enough. Slanderous. Slander has to do with saying things about other people that we think may be true but isn't necessarily true. Without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. There's that word for pride again. And then he says this, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And I thought about American culture. Wow. I mean, how many of us would rather... Just appease ourselves, appease what we want, rather than get involved in service and the trials that this service brings. So you conform, you become all this, you become a religious version of this, and church becomes all about you, or you transform. And you're engaged in the front lines of a war where Jesus says that not even the gates of hell will withstand you if you're being the church. But if you're not being the church, note the consequences. In verse 5 and verse 7, he says, number one, you're going to have the appearance of godliness, but you deny its power. You don't want to know why we have a lot of weak Christians today? It's because we conform and we don't transform. It's about us. It's not about the kingdom. And the second consequence is always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. These are people that go to Bible studies, they go to church, they know the information, they have the knowledge, but they don't know Jesus. What they simply do is compare and they follow some other person's ritual and say, well, this is what it means. And they don't have this intimate relationship with Jesus that they get to sit at his feet. Now, I use all this background this morning because we're going to be talking about temptation. And I want you to turn to James chapter 1. We're in verses 13 through 18 this morning. But just to kind of do a little background again, James says, listen, you're going to have trials. That's the reality. And I want you to choose joy. That's the command. Why? Because when you choose joy, you will grow, you will mature. When you choose the trial, you'll become unstable and double-minded. And so he talked about trials. Now you're going to see in verse 13, he switches to the word temptation. What you need to know is it's the same word. In the Greek, the word for trial in James 1 is the same word for the word temptation in James 1. You see, this word is used two ways. Let's read the passage, then we'll talk about this. Let no one say when he is tempted... I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. 
And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought forth, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, this word for trial and temptation, there is the positive side. A trial can produce growth, and there's the negative side. And he uses the word temptation to distinguish between the two. It can bring destruction. See, temptation is when we have a desire to do something wrong. But it's more than that. It's a desire to do something right in a wrong way. We can take good things and we can use it in a bad way. It's a good thing to take a test. We've talked about that. If you decide to cheat, that's a bad thing. The trial will grow you. The temptation will destroy you. And the goal of Satan is to take the trial and turn it into a temptation. And if you do not learn to love God in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the testing... Then you'll become angry at God and everybody else, and it will lead to sin. That's what James is telling us here. But here's what we do when we're tempted. And we've all been here. We say things like, God, why are you doing this to me? God, I thought that you loved me. And if you really loved me, you would not be doing this to me. Now, do you see what we're trying to do? We're trying to make our desire prominent over God's desire, and we're trying to manipulate God into doing what we want him to do. And we do this with each other, don't we? How many times did you hear these words? And they're used in order to manipulate the other person. You got a couple dating. Man says, if you really love me, then you'll let me have sex. Ladies, if you're dating, and if a guy says that, Here's your response. If you really love me, then you'll respect me enough to wait. A wife says, honey, if you really love me, you'll buy this really expensive whatever it is they want, even though we can't afford it. (laughs) Husbands, here's what you can say. I love you enough not to go into debt and lose the opportunity to be generous with what God has given us. That's better than no way, whoever said no way. (laughs) You see, we have two choices when we're faced with a trial and temptation. We can handle the trial properly and grow, or we handle the trial improperly and lead to temptation. And if we don't handle the temptation well, it will lead to sin. Now, that's the substance of temptation. It leads to sin and it leads to death. But here's what we struggle with. What's the source of temptation? Now let's reread verses 13 and 14. It says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted, being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? Say it. His own desires. Do you get this? You don't blame God. You don't blame the devil. 
Flip Wilson, I'm going to show my age here, used to have a little comedy routine on TV. And he would do something bad, and he'd always say, well, the devil made me do it. And everybody would laugh. The devil can't make you sin. And you're sitting here the morning and saying, well, if I can't blame God, I can't blame the devil. Who do I blame? (laughs) Time to hold the mirror up. It says that we are lured and enticed by what? Our own desires. The word entice and the word lure, and if you picked up the fishing language, that's what it means. It means to bait a hook. It's used of a fisherman that puts that lure, that fly, that worm on the hook to do what? To hide the hook, to seduce the fish, to take the bait and get hooked. And once they're hooked, what happens? They get pulled out, they get put in the frying pan, and it leads to death, right? (laughs) The bait here is your own desires. It's what you want. So Visa comes along and says, hey, you can buy now, pay later. Just ignore the 18% interest I'm going to charge you when you can't afford it. Have you ever noticed today that everything's on sale? And so people come home after they buy things, say, look how much I saved. No, look how much you spent. Husband comes home with a brand new pickup saying, honey, $15,000 off this beauty. Look at what I saved. No, you spend 45 grand. (laughs) Think of it this way. Football season, I know we're in the middle of it. And you go up against another team. What do you do? Well, you watch the game film. You see their tendencies, their weaknesses, their strengths. And as you watch that as a team, you are self-aware of your own abilities and you build an offense and defense that will win the game for you. But guess what? The opposing team, they get to film you. What that means is Satan has your film. He's tracking you. He studies you. He knows what bait to use to hook you. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 6, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God, that not, not just some of it, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes, the traps, the deception, the baits of the devil. But here's what James says. This is part of the bait. If you sin, you choose to sin. And if you're sinning today, you have to own it. Because sin reveals what is down inside of us. One of the things I like about the 12-step recovery program is that it's about confession, it's about owning, and choosing to live differently. I mean, that's really what it's about. And in the Christian church, we call that discipleship. It's where we put off and we put on. It's another language that Paul uses in Ephesians. But Satan... Satan whispers in your ear that you get to blame someone else. So Adam tells God, you know, it was that woman you gave me. Eve says it was that serpent. And today, what do we say? It's my job. It's my spouse. It's my kids. It's my neighbors. Mom just baked some cookies. And she tells her three-year-old son, son, don't eat any cookies. 
leaves the room, comes back. And what's son doing? He's eating cookies. He looks shocked at his mom. His mom says, I thought I told you not to eat those cookies. And in spite of all the abundance of evidence on his face and in his hands, he looks up and says, I didn't eat any cookies. He says, what happened was I I pushed a chair to the table and I went to smell the cookies and my tooth got caught. (laughs) Now, isn't that what we do? Now, let's do the adult version of this. And I'll do it in my language because this is what happens to me. You know, so-and-so makes me so angry. No. If you allow someone to make you angry, you've given the power to them. See, I chose to get angry. I chose to respond. Nobody can make me angry. Can they do things that irritate me? Yes. But still, I'm the one that makes that choice. And we make excuses and we believe our excuses. Now, here's the critical part of this. And I asked myself this week, so why is James being, James being hard on us? You know, why does he come around and say, oh, we understand, you know, it's okay. Well, do you realize that if we don't own up to it, we don't ever get healed? Here's what Jesus said. I came to heal the sick people. (laughs) And if you're not sick, I can't heal you. Now, he said it this way. I came to heal the sick, not the righteous. The righteous don't need my help. So if you never own up to it, Jesus can't come in and heal you. And that's the self-awareness we've been talking about down through this passage. Now, another thing we need to learn here is that sin is never an event. It's a process. Nobody says here. He talks about your desires. Some translations have the word lust. We always think lust in sexual terms, but it's desires is not a bad word. God gives us desires. I mean, how many people here are a foodie? You know what a foodie is? You love to eat. I love to eat. It's a good desire. You need to eat. How many people love to sleep? Yeah, good desire. You know, God gives us sexual desires. All are good in the context of his truth. What's bad is when we seek to satisfy those desires in an illegitimate way. Food is good as long as you don't become a glutton. So stay away from shady maple. (laughs) Sleep is good. Unless you're lazy and just keep sleeping and sleeping and sleeping. Sex is good inside marriage, but outside marriage? You know, Satan told Eve, bite this fruit. It is beautiful. It is going to make you smart. Here's what he didn't tell her. If you bite this, you're going to get kicked out of the garden. One of your sons is going to kill another son. You're going to have pain in pregnancy and birth. There's going to be weeds all over the place. Your husband has to till the ground. He's going to sweat at it. And your world will be destroyed in death. No, he just said, listen, it's beautiful. You're going to be smart. Look at verse 15 and 16. Here's the process. Then the desire, when it's conceived... The desire is not wrong. Temptation is not wrong. But when we allow it to plant and give birth, it leads to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. 
So James is talking about desire and deception and disobedience and death. And what it involves is all our relationships. It's death to our spiritual lives. It's death physically. You know, I hear all the time, well, you know, it was God's will for that person to die. No, it's not. Death was never part of Genesis 1 and 2. Death was part of Genesis 3. And because death, physical death was not part of God's design and will, he did something about it. He gave his son, he died in our place so that we might live eternally. But this was never part of God's design. But he provided a way out. He says, don't be deceived. Don't be enticed by the bait. And that's kind of odd in verses 17 and 18. Just look there again. He says, and he switches gears. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. I don't know if you ever kind of lay out at night and look at the sky. I had an opportunity one time to be in northern Canada where we were literally hundreds and hundreds of miles away from any city, any what we call unnatural light, you know, our human light. And it was a moonless night. And I can't tell you the beauty of the sky and the multitude of stars that exist that we can't see here because we have our artificial light blocking out the father of lights. It is just, well, let's, let me put it this way. We were by a lake because I had some guys that worked with juvenile delinquents. We took them back in and people said, well, aren't you afraid? And I said, where are they going to go? We're out in the middle of nowhere. You know, north was the North Pole. <laughs> That's it. South, there was probably grizzly bear and other kind of things that they wouldn't make it. But it was that bright and the reflection off the water was that bright. We didn't need flashlights to walk around at 3 a.m. It is absolutely beautiful. And so James is reminding us, listen, there is good, (laughs) there is complete, it comes from God, he's the father of lights, he doesn't change his mind about you, he doesn't change his mind about us becoming sons and daughters, there's no shadow, no deception in who he is, it's just not some presentation that when we get there, he changes the gears and says, oh, by the way, I didn't tell you about this. See, that's what sin does. Sin entices us. It looks beautiful. But when we get there and take and eat of that fruit. And then he says of his own will, he brought us forth. His choice. By the word of truth. He is truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creator, of his creatures. And so James says, listen, remember God's character, that he's good, that he's perfect, he's the daddy of lights, he's consistent, he is truthful. Remember that God's word brings life, and Satan's word brings death. And so he asks the question, who are you listening to? And the beauty of this passage is, listen, he goes, he wants us to be the first fruits. Now, that's a farming term. If you know anything about first fruits, it was the best part of the crop, it was the highest value. And he's saying, do you realize that you were the best part of my creation? You have the highest value. I made you in my image. And you got a choice. 
You can be homeless, you can be dumpster diving and think that's it, or you can sit with me and be my adopted son or daughter and live in the beauty of a relationship with me. Now again, you got to get the big picture. We've been talking about that. Here in this life, we're going to have trials. There's going to be hard things. In all of eternity, I'm absolutely convinced that we have no clue what heaven's going to be like. They try to describe it. Old Testament prophets try to describe it, and it sounds weird. Wheels and eyes and lion heads. When we get there, we're guaranteed it's going to be far better than anything we could ever dream up. Amen? And all eternity then, those trials disappear. Those temptations disappear. And we will live forever and ever in his glory and worship him. But we have this high value. And whenever we lose this high value, we become something we should not be. And you know, he talked about his will. And the point of it is that all this is a decision of our will. The battle is won or lost at your will. And the problem in our culture is all those things we read to start with, you look at them and you realize that's a culture that's led with their emotions. They're driven by emotions. Now, whenever I say that, people are like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, there's this news story about. And we look always out there and we always like, wow, yeah, they, I don't do that. They do that. Well, let's get personal. Here's one that I've heard a lot in my last 40 years. Oh, pastor, I just didn't feel like going to church this morning, so I stayed home. Nobody laughed. Nobody said amen. I got news for you, by the way. Do you think this pastor ever feels like coming here on a Sunday morning 100% of the time? (laughs) I got to tell you, there's some Sunday mornings I get up, I'm like, man, I do not want to go there this morning. And, uh, but you're saying you have to go because you're the preacher, yeah? But isn't it sad that that's the reason I go? Now, here's the interesting part of that. The days I don't want to be here, when I get here, I realize why I need to be here. They're the most profitable. Now, you're saying, Pastor, you're putting on some guilt trip. No, I'm just preaching God's word. Look at Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. I mean, watch what this says. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Who's that? It's Jesus. Without wavering, don't be double-minded like James talks about. For he who promises faithful, that's the daddy of lights. Let us consider then how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now I know that times we stir each other up to other things than those, but that's the intent. And if you're going to stir people up, to love and good works, guess what? You got to be there with them. Not neglecting to meet together. And he says, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So if you really believe he's coming back again, then you need to up it, up the game. It's getting towards the fourth quarter, last two minutes, And boy, you better be engaged in this because once the horn goes, that's it. But we are a culture driven by our emotions. 
The kingdom of God culture is driven by truth and will. So that's part of God's word there. Now, I don't know where you are at right now. I don't know if you're in a trial or if you're in a temptation. You're at that resisting point. I don't know if you're at a temptation where it has led you to sin. It's been giving birth. And it's leading to the death of many things. There's a story in the Old Testament. I'm going to read it to you in a moment. Just the end of it. Samuel the prophet's old. And he has Israel gathered around him. And he's going through their history. He's telling them what has happened over the last several decades. He's saying, here's where you failed the test of the trials. Here's where you, that failure led to temptation. Here's where that temptation led to sin. And here is the price that you paid. So there's this long list of things. And they're listening to this. And here's their response. Just listen to it. It's in 1 Samuel 12. You can turn there sometime later. In verse 19, he says, And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die. So they heard the message. They're feeling pretty bad. For we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. And if you know the history of Israel, they're supposed to be a theocracy, which means God-centered. God was their king. But they looked around and they compared themselves to everybody else and says, we want a king. We want a king because over there they have a king and over there they have a king and over there they have a king and, and we want a king. And God says, okay, I'm going to give you a king, but it's not going to be pretty. Out of the series of 10 kings, there was one good. There was nine evil. I feel like sometimes in America we're like, Israel. Oh, we want a president. We want a president. The president's going to bring us back to God. The president's not going to bring us back to God. Who's going to bring us back to God? You are. You got to own it. Got to confess it. I mean, the church is about building the kingdom of God. So Samuel said to the people in verse 20, do not be afraid. I like this next phrase. You have done all this evil. He didn't sit there and say, oh, you know what? It's not as bad as you thought. You know, it's okay. God loves you. It's going to be great. He says, you know what? You're guilty. Yeah, you did it all. Full of compassion, right? (laughs) Yet, yet, do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. Don't conform. Don't conform. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his name, for his great name's sake, because it is, it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Did you ever think that it pleased the Lord to make you the church, the bride of Christ? And all he's saying is, listen, it's, it's time to be the bride. It's time to be the beautiful bride. It's time to be the bride that is going to shine this light over the world. And there's many people that will come to me. And you don't want to be part of the church that Paul talked to Timothy about, where they're ever learning and never able to know. They have a form of godliness, but not the power. So Samuel says, listen, stop comparing. That got you in trouble. 
Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. It's a nice way of saying, no matter how bad you get, I'm going to keep praying because that's what God wants me to do. That's my role as prophet. And I will instruct you in the good and the right way. I'm going to keep preaching. I'm going to keep saying what God says. Only fear the Lord, respect, love the Lord, and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. Can you hear Samuel saying, listen, people, choose joy. Choose the Lord. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Let me suggest three things in closing. Number one, go into training and stop trying. You do not try to run a marathon. You train to run a marathon. And when I get out and I consult churches and even businesses, I hear people say all the time, but you know, I'm really trying. I'm really trying. Well, I say stop trying, start training. Start making conscious choices of your will. Not trying because emotionally you're at a certain place. And how do we train as a Christian? We train in his word. His word is truth. We train in prayer. We train generosity. We give things away instead of collecting things. We train in unity, and it's a diverse unity, because we respect that everyone is made in the image of God, and we raise them up according to not how we want them, but to how God wants to seek in them. We train in our relationships. Train through the trials. Choose joy. Train. Train. Stop trying. Secondly, start with your will, not with your emotions. Start with your choices, not what you feel like. Start with what you know to be truth. Start with what you know to be right. Start with what God's word says. Now, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to try to speak truth into your life. If it doesn't line up with this, you can discount it. I've had a lot of people tell me in my life, that God told them to tell me something and it had nothing to do with this. And God says, you're allowed to discount that because you follow me, you listen to me. If it's here, then yeah, you better do it. (laughs) Because there's gonna be a lot of people speaking in my name that have no idea who I am. So start with your will, not your emotions. Thirdly then, go into training, stop trying, start with your will, not your emotions. Third, Do not do this alone. Our individualistic American spirit says, I got to tough it up. I got to pull my boots up. I got to do this alone. That is not transformation. That is conforming to an individualistic spirit in American culture. The Bible talks about the body of Christ. Doesn't talk about the finger of Christ or the fingernail of Christ. It says there's many different parts. Some are more visible than others. Some think they're more important than others. Truth is, they're all important. And so often we want to hide and we just we say, I should be strong enough to be able to handle this. That's not what scripture says. 
Scripture says, I put the body of Christ there to walk with you. Now, having said that, let's be careful because a lot of people, when they go around people, what they want is codependent comfort and not biblical truth walking. See, a friend should be able to tell you the truth like Samuel did. I mean, I love that phrase where Samuel, after they kind of confess, and he just says, yeah, you've done all this evil. <laughs> but guess what? Serve the Lord with all your heart. Get rid of the empty things. They don't profit or deliver. Don't forsake each other. But walk in the way of the Lord. Go into training. Start with your own will. But do not do this alone. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and I'm going to pray with you and we'll close. Father God, I just pray that your spirit pervades us this morning and takes the truth and implants them in our minds and our hearts that we need to hear. And if I fail to say anything, may you say it for me. And I ask, Lord, that you speak to us as a church. Because we do want to serve you. We do want to be a light in our community. We do want to follow you in all our ways. We want to be a community of transformation and not of conforming to everyone else. So I pray, Lord, as you do that, may we accept the consequences of that because we don't like change, let alone transformation. I pray, Lord, that as you lead us, we humbly submit ourselves to that leading. I pray, Lord, that you allow us to hear your voice, to understand your word, and to train in that, and to make the right choices, and become the body that you call us to be. Very diverse, very different. And yet together we serve you with one heart, because you are the one and only King of kings and Lord of lords. So lead us, Lord. And we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen.